Hello and welcome to In All of Us Command. I'm Aaron. I'm Kate. And we will be learning about national anthems. Every week we will choose a new country at random. We'll learn a little bit about this country and then we will listen to their anthem. After we listen, we will rate the anthem based on several criteria and see how they all stack up, just in our opinion. Now, we don't want you to think, if you're a new listener, that we are like big O Canada fans because of the title. Really, a big part of the reason we're doing this is because we hate O Canada and we wanted to see how it stacked up to uh, some of the other anthems in the world. It's a bad anthem, don't get me started. So I'm going to start this episode off before I introduce our country with just an apology to the members of that country. Uh, For two weeks, I have been referring to this week's country as Lesotho. Uh, I had not done my research. I will apologize today and correct it. The country we'll be learning about this week is Lesotho, is how it is pronounced. Lesotho? Yes. Okay. I've just been listening to you call it something else for a number of weeks now and And it's it's getting to me too it's entirely possible that i will slip up over the course of this episode it's okay Um, we'll forgive you but i i am doing my best so the one thing about lesotho that we actually learned a few weeks ago in our san marino episode is that it is one of three enclave countries in the world i think it's so cool that you got Two out of three. I know. I've these. got like fingers crossed for the Vatican now. Yeah. We're, I mean, we're not going to rig it, but. No. It's tempting. It is tempting. It's tempting. Um, the, um, so Lesotho is entirely enclosed within South Africa. And that's what an enclave country is. One that is entirely enclosed within another country. Uh, Lesotho is by far the largest of these three countries at about 30,000 square kilometers. Uh, and it is also the only one that is not on the Italian peninsula, mm. like enclosed within Italy. Oh yeah, fair point. I'd honestly before this, I'd only knew about the Vatican. I, in Vatican City, I did I not think really. I knew in my head there were others, but if I had been pressed to guess, I'd probably have guessed wrong. Yeah, it had never even crossed my mind. Yeah. Please carry on. <laughs> so, um, the. Area that is now Lesotho was settled in ancient times by Bantu-speaking peoples. So Bantu is a enormous, incredibly diverse African language group. Um, The Bantu language with the most speakers in the world today by, from what I saw, a pretty huge margin is Swahili. Mm. Uh, But the uh, Sesotho, the language that is, you know, the national language of Lesotho. Mm. It gets a little confusing. (laughs) Um, Sesotho is a Bantu dialect slash language. Ah, From what I can see, there's some minor debate among anthropologists on what constitutes a dialect slash a language. We're going to call it a language just to avoid confusion. Okay. So Sesotho is the language that developed in the area that would become Lesotho. Okay. Um, The speakers of this language would first be united by the single most important person we're going to talk about in the history of this nation, and that is King Moshushu I. Uh, He... There's a little sketchiness about the dates. I found some... um, Some sources gave me really contradictory info. They were like, in 1818, he united all the Sasutu people. And then in 1820, he was still just a very minor chief that no one cared about yet. Ah. So the timeline here is a little sketchy. But sometime around 1818, 1820, he started to unite the Sasutu peoples. And the people that were with him uh, in 1820 moved to... uh, Butha Boothi Mountain, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, because the word Butha Boothi is going to come back to us later, uh, later on today. Well, if you're wrong, we'll apologize for it next time. <laughs> <laughs> so during this period where they went to Butha Boothi, there was a lot of political upheaval around the whole 
like Southern Africa. South Africa doesn't yet exist, mm. but just around all of Southern Africa, yes. stuff's crazy right now. Okay. Um, Shaka of the Zulus uh, is attacker attackering attacking <laughs> neighboring clans in the 1820s, which causes the Basuto people the Basutu people to become nervous. Okay. Uh, so the Basutu people are the Susutu people. Sasutu-speaking peoples of the country of Lesotho. Okay, I follow you. Yeah. Just so we're all on the <laughs> same page there. No, I'm here. Um, a So a combination of, like, a lot of people being displaced by the expansion of Shaka Zulu Kingdom combined with a big drought that caused shortages of already strained resources brought about a period that's known in the history of... Uh, in the history of Lesotho as Lifakane, I believe it is pronounced. So it just means a period of like incredible hardship. Everything was scarce. People were abandoning their tribes and being forced to turn to cannibalism because Ooh. there was nothing else to eat. That's rough. Um, around this time, I think towards the end of the Lifakane period, Moshushu at this point still has his people just all holed up in Boothabuthi Mountain. But at this point, they their settlement there is attacked, and that causes them to flee to a large limestone plateau near Mount Kilawane. Now, this plateau would become, at least from what I saw in my research, probably the most like important sacred part place in Lesotho history. Okay. It would become known as Taba Bosiu, or the mountain at night, and it just became a position from which Moshushu could defend his peoples completely. Just a big plateau, anyone coming at you has to climb to get at you from any direction. It's a very strategic position. And he held it for years Nice. He, Are we talking like tens, hundreds? I I mean, he didn't live for hundreds no, of years. No, but maybe he passed it on to the next guy who held it. I don't know. I, Moshushu would eventually be defeated at Tababosu, but I think not for a couple decades still. We will get there. That's great. Okay. Sorry to jump ahead. That's okay. Uh, so he really gained a reputation as a king who couldn't be defeated in battle. He had this impenetrable fortress and an army that did well like going out as well but he also gained a reputation as someone who would be really merciful then to the tribes he had defeated mm. he would give them land to settle he would give them help um planting and harvesting crops on that land just try to incorporate them into the kingdom he was building that is very nice not to just kill everyone yeah so yeah. in this sort of post Khane period I mean, he's certainly harsh with those people who are attacking his tribe, mm. but a lot of those people who had been forced to turn to cannibalism during the Lifakane period were then welcomed back into the Basutu people to settle land and grow crops. And How long does the, sorry, the Letha... Lifakane? Lifakane, how long does that last? I don't actually think I wrote down in my notes exactly how long it lasts, but I think think somewhere in the vicinity of five to ten years. Okay, thank you. Um, so in this period, he really worked to create a national identity and a sense of, like, we as Sasutu-speaking peoples are one. Mm. Um, and it's also around this period that we start to get some missionaries coming into Lesotho. So at some point in the 20s, he meets some, some Boer missionaries mm. we haven't talked yet about the boers the boers are dutch descended african missionaries who will eventually become the like the white folks who settle south africa does this is this gonna have to do with the boer war that i learned about in high school like yes but we're not really gonna talk about the boer war today that's that, okay that's I'm, who the boer war was with i'm sure the boer war will get lots of attention <laughs> in future episodes honestly i'm not sure it will you it, don't think i'm i maybe a couple places i think it's a pretty minor skirmish all things considered just canada hasn't fought in that many wars Just when they taught it to us in grade 10 it was like important that stuff was on the exam that was like it's true 
We'll see. To know your shit about the Boer War, which we'll of see. course none of which I remember, but anyway. <laughs> so sometime in the 1820s, uh, in the late 1820s, he would encounter some Boer missionaries mm. who had come over from the Cape Colony. And the Cape Colony is something that's going to be important in the history of Lesotho and like going forward and also I think just majorly important in the history of South Africa and Southern Africa in okay. general. Uh, so remember the Cape Colony, it matters. Okay. Um, but these first encounters with Boer missionaries didn't do that much except plant a seed in Moshushu's head that he wanted two things for his people that he had never seen in Lesotho before mm. this time. And those were number one, horses, mm -hmm. and number two, guns. I was going to say, I was waiting for you to say guns, and you didn't say it first. And I was like, wait, but guns. Yeah. So Fair enough. The thing that I found strange about my research is all my sources made it clear that this was when Moshushu decided mm -hmm. he needed horses and guns. Mm -hmm. And it will be important later that he accomplished that. Okay. But no one really said when he managed, when or okay. how he managed <laughs> to do that. So just know at some point Moshushu acquires horses and guns because that's going to be important. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> So at this point, three missionaries from the Paris Evangelical Missionary Society, known here forward as the PEMS, um, will show up. And I meant to ask you how to pronounce their names before we started, but I'm just going to go ahead and butcher them. Who cares? Okay. <laughs> so in 1833, these three guys arrive, Eugene Cassely, uh, Thomas Arbousset, Constant and constant Gosselin? Gosseline? Who knows? Uh, but these, the, the name you really want to remember there is Eugene Cassely. He's, he matters. Um, so You're these, doing pretty good, by the way. Perfect. Pronunciation? Did, not perfect, not bad. I stopped taking French after grade nine, but I did get a 98 in grade nine French. <laughs> so I'm pretty much like a fluent French speaker. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, funny. <laughs> these missionaries started trying to convert people, but from what I can see, these Paris missionaries got welcomed into the fold and really worked to improve the lot of the Susutu-speaking peoples in a lot of ways. Mm. They introduced new crops to the country, they opened schools, uh, they printed the first literature written in the Susutu language. Oh, cool. Um, these three guys would eventually become honorary citizens. They would assist Moshushu because they knew more about sort of the world outside of Lesotho mm. than he did. Moshushu, um, okay, so at this point, a lot of Boer colonists from around the Cape Colony begin to settle in the areas around Lesotho, and they're starting to sort of threaten the independence of the Basotho people. Mm. Uh, so they would go ahead and ask the British for help. And the British helped for a little bit, but eventually the costs got too high and the British backed out. Okay. So the uh, Lesotho would end up losing some land in this period to what was known as the Orange Free State of the Boers. Uh, which I think is something that's going to be, uh, again, enormously important in the founding of South Africa. And that does not exist anymore. No. Okay. No, it does not. Okay. The area that was the Orange Free State of the Boers is now part of South Africa. Okay. Um, so throughout the 1850s and 60s, there's a lot of conflicts with uh, the Orange Free State, and Moshushu would go back to the British again and again and ask for help, and he would never quite get enough to, like, fix things, just enough to, like, not completely burn that bridge, uh, was the impression I got, at least. But then, uh, Governor Philip Wodehouse of the Cape Colony in 1868 would just out of the blue declare the Basutu as British subjects in 1868. Um, this did help that the, this did help with the hostilities with the Orange Free State because mm -hmm. all of a sudden they're like, oh, we can't fuck with these guys anymore. Right, right. Um, but also they just 
sort of didn't tell anyone. They were just like, you're us now. That sounds like the British. It does. Just walking yeah. around going, and you belong to us, and you belong to us, and if you don't like it, too bad. So it's at this point in 1868 that the boundaries of modern-day Lesotho would be established. Mm-hmm. Uh, at this point, it is called Basotho Land. Okay. Or Basotho Land. I'm not quite sure. There's some O's being used as O's, but as U's, but that one has a U. It's a little confusing. I'm doing my best. Uh, after Moshushu passed away in 1870, the country would be entirely annexed into the British Empire uh, with, like, complete British rule from London over what was going on there. Okay. Um, people didn't like that. No. There was some resistance, so the British created the Peace Preservation Act, which meant that all the guns that Moshushu had acquired for his people during his time as king had to be surrendered to the British. This led to a massive open rebellion in 1880 known as the Gun War. I bet it did. Okay, that's kind of hilarious. I loved that. I mean, like, I get that old-timey wars people didn't have guns yet, but every modern war has had guns. So to call it the gun war is like, which one are you talking about? But in a way, it's very creative, too, because no one else thought of that. Yeah. (laughs) So this rebellion led to like a brief period where control of Lesotho was ceded back to the Cape Colony government, Mm -hmm. which, as far as I could tell, only lasted a few months or maybe a year. And then control came back to London. But what this did that was important as far as I can tell, mm-hmm. uh, that was really in, really instrumental in the creation of Lesotho as an independent nation is that it created a precedent for this area to be treated differently from mm-hmm. the rest of Southern Africa. I am interested in these countries that are completely surrounded by other countries and like how they negotiated not just being absorbed. Yeah. Because it, it makes so much sense, and it would, I mean, especially with the, what did we look at last time you talked? San Marino. Yes, yeah. thank you. San Marino was, um, like, would have probably just been part of Italy, except for they had a good relationship with a guy yeah. who made yeah. a lot of they important decisions. they were nice decisions. to Garibaldi, so yeah. he let him be. Yeah. <laughs> so, the... With the rule returning to the British, they had to do things a little bit differently as to avoid another open rebellion. So they created this system of dual governance, which gave more control to the native chiefs of Lesotho than really anywhere else in the surrounding area. Okay. Um, the British Parliament were mainly concerned with like collecting their taxes, collecting the resources they felt they were owed, and really they didn't give a shit about the day-to-day ruling of Lesotho, so they would leave yeah. that to the local chiefs, okay. which was something. It's, it's something. Um, so the chiefs would originally hold a pizzo, or an open-air assembly, which was really cool to me, because it's almost like it's sort of classic Greek democracy, where they gather all the people and let them share their views on the issues, but uh, eventually that became impractical mm. just due to the number of people in the country. So they would start moving closer to sort of a representative model in 1903 under a paramount chief named Lira Tholi. Um, and throughout the early 1900s, political awareness and opposition to what would grow within Lesotho mm. In 1910, South Africa was formed, and Lesotho is still independent. From what I could see, the next 50 years or so are, like, fairly uneventful, just kind of an upwards motion of we want independence more and more, Mm -hmm. and then in 1966, they got it. I was hoping there was going to be a second gun war. Yeah, I was hoping for one. Yeah, but that's okay. It's in really, it's good that there wasn't one. Yeah. But just for my own. Anyway. But there there has been some trouble since they uh, became independent. Uh, their first elections were held in 1965, uh, like when they knew they were going to be independent, but they weren't yet. Mm-hmm. And the conservative Basutu National Party won that election. 
Um, so King Moshushu II was made the paramount chief with Joseph Leabua Jonathan as the prime minister. So the more progressive Basutu Congress party would end up winning the second election in 1970, mm. but Prime Minister Jonathan would just throw out the results of that election and declare a state of emergency. He arrested King Moshushu II, and this ultimately led to a number of years where British aid to Lesotho was completely halted, mm. which was not great, but eventually Jonathan just like towed the line and the British were like, all right, you scamp, here's your foreign aid back. As far as I all can right. tell. All right. And then he, Jonathan throughout the years would increasingly criticize the South African apartheid government, which led like his sort of vulnerable position within South Africa there led to a lot of increased foreign aid from other countries uh, because he was speaking out against that. Mm. Um, in 1985, his government was starting to lose power and he felt he was being forced to hold elections, but they weren't elections. Like, he didn't let anyone other than uh, Basutu National Party candidates run in the primaries. Mm -hmm. So then when the general election rolled around, he was just like, why bother? It's It's just us. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Which I thought was a great strategy. That it's, made me laugh. It's a good strategy. It's too bad. In, uh, in 86, South Africa would end up heavily restricting the movement of people and goods across the border, just effectively blockading them inside their own mm. country. Around this time, Major General Justin Lacanya would lead a coup that deposed Jonathan and established military rule. So during this period, uh, executive power was returned to the king and political parties were banned. Military rule lasted until 93, at which time Moshushu II was exiled and dethroned and replaced by his oldest son. So the constitution was amended at this point, um, and the, uh, the more progressive Congress party was put back into power with a guy named Mokeli as prime minister. Apartheid would end in 1994, mm. and all of a sudden foreign sympathy for Lesotho just dries up. They were getting all their aid for criticizing apartheid, and with apartheid gone, everyone's Lesotho who? Um, that joke just occurred to me. That w was excellent. Thank you. Um, I wish that could be a catchphrase for something. <laughs> but Mokeli would eventually be ousted from the BCP, after which he would form his own conference, uh, his own conference, his own party, the Lesotho Congress for Democracy. He would win another election with his new party and then ended up having to resign due to poor health. His successor held the job for a while, but it was the the next guy, a guy named Tom Thabani. The reason I keep this succession going is I just thought this was interesting. Tom Thabani was allegedly involved in the murder of his ex-wife during his time in office. Now, I don't know if this is true, but none of the articles I read were really going to bat for him. Ah. So, uh, he would end up stepping down in May of 2020 and would be replaced by his finance minister, a guy named Moksti Majoro, who is in office for the remainder of the Bonnie's term, which ends in 2022. And that leads us to, uh, yeah, next year. Okay. For a second, I forgot it was 2021 already. I'm confused. It's April. There, Kate. yeah. There is time does not exist anymore. Mid-April. Time does not exist. So let's get into some fun facts yeah. about Lesotho. Tell me some fun facts. An impression I got about Lesotho looking for like famous people from there mm. is that it's got with South Africa kind of a similar relationship that Canada's got to the US like if you get big enough you go there. Right. Uh, so a lot of right. like 
uh, Lesotho-born people then have larger careers in South Africa, they, like a lot of Canadian stars have larger careers in the States. You go to New York, you go to LA. Yeah, exactly. You leave us puny people in Toronto behind. <laughs> but that being said, the South African film and TV scene is really one that's growing internationally. Mm. Um, particularly, do you remember in 2009, the movie District 9? Yes. I never uh, saw it, though. Great, great movie. South African film, uh, sort of a sci-fi allegory on apartheid okay um great movie directed by neil blomkamp but uh there is a up-and-coming lesotho born actor the only reason i bring this up is because there's this project coming out that looks awesome <laughs> and the star is from lesotho uh so the star is this uh woman named bokang fulani and i'm sorry again for any pronunciation butcherings but she's had roles in several sesotho language productions and she's starring in this show coming out this year called Blood Psalms. Ooh. And Blood Psalms looks fucking amazing. It's a TV show? Yeah. And I'm, a- I'm going to try to figure out how to get a hold of it. But it, uh, it stars Fulani as this like pre-colonial legendary African queen named Zazie who leads her people through an apocalyptic prophecy. It's going to be filmed in like multiple old languages on multiple countries. I'm so fucking excited. I really hope we can get a hold of Blood Psalms somehow. That sounds so exciting. I'm hoping even sort of on the DL internets we can yeah we can make that happen we can uh, sail those high seas a bit yes yeah <laughs> so let's talk a bit about uh national symbols uh the makaratlo is i believe the pronunciation is the straw hat created by the basutu people and it's really just become an emblem of them. It's on the flag of Lesotho right in the center mm-hmm. is the shape of the Makaratlo. Their national animal is the critically endangered black rhinoceros. Oh, yeah. I, I read in the news about the... Because there's white rhinoceri too, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 And then the national dish, I told you this word was going to come back, is yep. Bootha Boothy. And I know we've talked about this, but it's, to me, so strange. We're going to be making spinach and tangerine soup. We're going all out. We're going all out <laughs> for this one. We're, to be honest, and I, I don't mean any offense by this, to my boring Canadian palate, this sounds horrifying, but I am going to give it a try. The thing I'm trying to tell myself, because I'm also a little weirded out, also going to be honest here, um... Is that, you know, mandarins, it's citrus fruit. We cook with lemon all the time. Put a little squeeze of lemon here, a little squeeze of lemon there. How much different can it really be? That's true. If we throw That's in true. A little bit of tangerine. Tangerine. Did I say clementine before? I don't remember. That's anyway, okay. I meant tangerine. Um, and I think, I don't know, the yogurt's kind of getting to me too, though. Actually, I think the yogurt is a big part of what made me willing to try it. I think it's going to cut that acidity in a way that it's going to need. Also, the split peas in there. It's going to be something unlike anything I've ever eaten, but we're going to make it and eat it. I'm excited. I'm intrigued. Cautiously excited. I'm intrigued. My interest has been piqued. I was trying to find out what Bootha Boothy means. Once really sketchy source I found said place of deposits, okay. which makes sense for the mountain. Yes. I tried to run it through Google Translate because I found Sasutu was on there. Mm-hmm. But so for one thing, I found some places wrote it as two words and some places wrote it with a hyphen between them. Okay. So I tried it both ways through Google Translate just to see if one of them made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, without a hyphen, it was gather and gather. Okay. And with a hyphen, it was slow down. Interesting. Uh, so we're kind of nowhere on a translation for Bootha Boothy. If anyone knows, please tell us. Yeah. Um, but we are now going to take some time to listen to the anthem. Oh, sorry. I do actually have one other question yes, before we yes. do that. Okay, so 
what what are the current sort of industries? If you know anything about... Well, it looks like there is a lot of mining and farming that goes on there. It is a really mountainous country. Um, they export a lot of diamonds from Lesotho. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> so we're going to take a break now and listen to our anthem. It is called Lesotho, Land of Our Fathers. All right, hello and welcome back to In All of Us Command. We have just given a little listen to Lesotho, Lesotho, I did it again, Lesotho, Land of Our Fathers. Uh, so let's get into a bit of the history of the song before sure. we get into rating. I'm excited. You've been hyping it up a little bit. Well, I've, I found a really cool connection that sort of no one talks about. Here's the thing about the anthem is yeah. I could find plenty of info on the lives of all three people involved in the creation of this anthem. Mm-hmm. But... In all that info I could find on their lives, I couldn't find one reference in any of the three of them to the anthem being created. Okay. Right? That's weird. It seems like it's just the least important thing any of these three guys did in their lives. I mean, it could be true, but it's a little weird. Right, I think, Especially because in some of the other histories we've seen kind of the opposite where you look up the person and like the one thing the they one did thing they did was, was compose the anthem yeah or compose the music or whatever it was so so the the lyrics originally were written by a guy named francois coyard uh and francois coyard was another french missionary from the paris evangelical missionary society and uh, or the PEMS. <laughs> we should really abbreviate it because I think it's going to come up all over the fucking world. Yeah. <laughs> um, he actually, when he was in Paris studying at the Missionary Society, mm-hmm. he was actually a student, a student of Eugene Cassely. Okay. Um, so Cassely was the one who, as far as I could tell, really ingratiated himself the most into the society of Lesotho. Mm. He had his own mansion, like, right beside the castle and would advise the king on all sorts of matters. He and King Moshushu, they were super tight. So that he studied under Eugene Cassily, to me, is really cool. Um but I couldn't find anyone really talking about that part of the Coyard story. Mm-hmm. Really what people wanted to talk about with Coyard, um, I didn't really get into the details of this because I didn't really care that much. Um, really what people want to talk about with Coyard is the like grand sort of Pan-African love story between him and his uh, wife, Christina, oh. who I guess uh, Coyard spearheaded a bunch of missions across Africa, um, spent a lot of time in a number of nations. I wouldn't be surprised if we hear his name again. This sounds very born free. I'm not familiar. Of the movie? No. Oh, you know the song. Never mind. We'll we'll talk, we'll talk about, about born it later. free afterwards. Yeah. It's a movie. There's lions. It's fine. Um but really, yeah, that seems to be what people care about is the idea that he had this grand love story with mm. uh with Christina Coyard across all these countries and no one seems that interested in the fact that he wrote the lyrics for the national anthem of Lesotho <laughs> or at least not that I could find in English there's probably something about it in the Sesotho language out there 
Um, the music, however, was taken from an 1800 Swiss hymn written by a oh. guy named uh, Ferdinand Samuel Lauer. Okay. And to my understanding, he never knew that this song was used in this way. Okay. Like, I don't think this was he was a part of this story. Mm. Uh, he wrote... A hymn in the 1800s in Swiss, obviously, or whatever language, I guess. Is Swiss even a language? I guess a lot of people speak German and shit. A lot of people speak French, too. Yeah. I don't know. Could've, whatever language. Whatever. <laughs> uh, he, he wrote this song called Freedom. And I couldn't find a lot of explanation on how it would make its way to Lesotho and become the anthem. I did find out, actually, sort of right at the end of my research, when it was too late to do anything about <laughs> it, that there is an entire book on the topic of how Lauer's piece of music okay. would uh, come into play. It's called Our Land, uh, Lesotho's Swiss National Anthem. I will link to it in the show notes. I'm going to say that in the pandemic times, it probably would have been pretty hard to get your hands on that. Anyways. Yeah, I did actually look it up in like our local library and it wasn't in the catalog there. Yeah. Um, and it was too recent for me to have any shot at like ordering the book if that was something I had wanted to do. Yeah, university might have it, but then the borrowing and the stuff it can be. Yeah, but if anyone does want to look into yeah. it, I will leave a link in the show notes. Um, but yeah, aside from the publisher's blurb, which is really it like leaves out all the good stuff to leave you wanting more. Yeah. Um, there's really no info on how that happened. And I'm not just going to like quote the whole publisher's <laughs> No, if you're interested, you can read that by yourselves. Um, so the lyrics that were written by Francois Coyard are, they are part or they are a larger piece. And it was only the first and last verses of Coyard's, composition or lyrics that would uh, make it in to be the official anthem of Lesotho. Okay, but he knew he was writing the anthem. He when knew he, wrote he them? was writing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or at least he knew he was writing a song about Lesotho. Okay. Um, I think actually the only person who knew they were writing the national anthem is the guy I'm about to bring up. Mm -hmm. And that is a guy named Joshua Palumo Moa Paloa. Uh, baller name. Yeah. JP is usually what it is. So JP Moa Paloa, how fucking That's cool so is that? Cool. <laughs> um, this guy didn't actually come up at least where I looked a couple places. Didn't come up in terms of, uh, famous people from Lesotho, but he seems like a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, similar to the actor we talked about earlier, uh, seems to have sort of made his way to South Africa for a lot of his career, but did a lot of writing in Sesotho. He was, really just a really important composer of South African choral music. Mm. I found textbooks about wow. Moa Paloa, like not textbooks. He was mentioned in textbooks about him. That's amazing. That did not mention the fact that he was involved. <laughs> Cause I guess his involvement starts and ends. I think it was mainly they just wanted to put his name on it because right. he was sort of a big artist out of Lesotho. Mm. Um, basically, they had him choose which parts were going to make it in. Okay. Uh, so he didn't write any, any part of the anthem, but he was at some bureaucratic level involved in deciding which parts became the anthem. And as far as I can tell, his involvement there... Uh, happened sometime around independence in 66. Okay. So that's all I have. I, I did my best to sort of piece everything together and get as much info as I could on the people. But uh, there's, there's nobody talking about the creation of this anthem. There's lots of people talking about the people who created it. Yeah, that's... That's fair. I can see how that might happen. Um, plus, it's going to, with a language barrier and stuff, too, it's going to be hard for us. To yeah, absolutely. Always find what we're looking for. But anyway, we can try and we can have fun while we're doing it. <laughs> um, should we talk about the versions we listen to? Yeah. So we listen to, as always, our three versions. Uh, that classical version, it was okay. I like parts of the arrangement, I think. 
maybe the performance and recording left something to be desired. Yeah, I found it a little bit like tinny almost. You can kind of hear how it was church music. But I, I like how Colin response seems to be really built into mm. the DNA of the anthem. And I like how the versions we listen to all seem to handle it a little bit differently in in the rhythms of uh, like when the responses come in and when they come back together into unison. Um, so I just think it's cool for this arrangement. I thought they had some really nice moments of mm-hmm. arrangement there. Um, the second one is what I'm really excited about. Oh, that's it. Let me pull up the name of the artist here. Okay, the second version, our contemporary version, is a recording by a guy named Sefika. And if you're Googling, looking for this song by its name, you're not going to find it. Because his recording is just called Lesotho. But do yourself a favor and look up Lesotho by Sefika. It is incredible such a good time it had me like dancing on the couch you can't help it you oh, can't not great dance. beats such high energy vocal performances these great layering of vocals over each other and i mean i don't speak the language but i have to imagine it gets to a point where even if you did speak the language it's more or less impossible to pick out what's being said there's just so many sounds and it's so exuberant and great and as i was saying to you while we were listening to it i really just want to see it live like that yeah seemed like so much fun i mean and seeing anything live right now honestly seems like a lot of fun but but this especially i don't know just like listen to that and dance in a crowd and everybody's having a good time that sounds great and uh similar to your uh wild card one last week for mm-hmm. sao tome there was Uh, Definitely a part of the anthem that was sort of used as a hook, Mm -hmm. used on repeat, uh, rap breaks all around it. It's amazing. Um, Possibly my favorite recording we've listened to yet. Yeah, it's steep competition with that one from Sautame and Principe last week for me. Um, Very cool, though. And then our wild card, we got a uh, high school choir from Lesotho performing the national anthem, and... I mean, I think their arrangement left something to be desired, the the version they were using, but I thought there were just some great singers in this choir. I think there are several people in that little group who ought to be professionals after this. Yeah. They're- and I mean, these are often the people who are going to stick out in a choir setting, but those sopranos and those basses, man, yeah. they, they've got pipes on them. They do. They do. I was very impressed. Most high school choirs are not that good. Yeah. Um, that polished or like if you'd played me that and said, these are professionals, I'd have gone. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Yeah. And it's not even the polish of the performance that blew me away. It's the polish of some of those voices. That's really what I'm talking about. Is... Like those are those are fully grown singing voices yeah. uh, in a really impressive way. On like 16 and 17. Yeah. It's like kids, really. It's great. Uh, you want to get into the lyrics or the the ratings? Yeah. Do we want to talk about the lyrics a little bit before we? Or I guess we will kind of. Yeah, while that's we... that's category one. Okay, great. We'll do that. Um, yeah. So you uh, you've got the lyrics up there, and you've got the original lyrics as well, because I'd like to talk about those in this section as well. Yes, I was a little bit confused by that as I was looking at the Wikipedia page. Yeah, so the two verses that are in, like, the official lyrics, those are the two verses that were chosen by J.P. Mm. Moapaloa. Mm-hmm. And then the original lyrics, that's the full piece that was written by Francois Coyard to be set to gotcha. this Swiss hymn. Gotcha. Um, I think, like, the spirit of the thing is very much the same. It, I think the the sort of... Definitely. Current, I like, think, version that I gets think they made the right cuts. Uh, yes. But I think there's some really fun stuff in this version, like in the full version as well. I like the way that it really goes the whole hog on like personifying. I guess yeah. I guess this is a lot of what's in the original too, but I love on this anthem how hard it goes on the personification of the country. Yes. Um a lot of anthems will you know, talk about the country like a country and just use she or whatever. 
and for me, for from a critic's perspective for personification, that's that's a little lame. Yeah. Um, this one really leans into that angle. We've got uh, she is where we were born. She is where we grew up. We love her. Yes. Um, and just that nailing in of like the the third person pronouns i think is really fun i agree it's not something we've really seen before um it's very personal and kind of touching in its own way yeah Um, i don't think about my country as being a person but maybe i'd like it better if i did but there's uh there's another passage here in the middle that i think is really great Mm -hmm. uh really speaks to sort of a national idea ideal um this bit in the middle where he's saying though some say she is small for us she is big enough we have fields we have cattle it is enough for us Mm -hmm. um i just think there's a lot of big ideas that you know if if i was someone living in lesotho i feel like it would feel good to hear that as my anthem and feel like i had something to to live up to on that scale. Yeah, I think it would be easy to feel eclipsed, especially in a small country or in a country as this one is surrounded by another country. Yeah. Um, this anthem allows the people to feel important. And I yeah. think that's really great. And it's so peaceful, too. I love that. Well, I like that it doesn't pretend it's something else. Like if yeah. this anthem was all Lesotho great and mighty conqueror, she of the many armies, I'd be like, maybe not. <laughs> like yeah. you guys have mostly chilled. <laughs> but they seem to know that. They yeah. chilled and they're happy with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's really great. And I think in the world, especially in a world where you know, violence can be kind of glorified where we get especially in anthems. Yeah. Yeah, That's something I'm surprised actually how little we've run into that so far. Yeah. I'm waiting for us to hit some of like the, the big, like well-known conquering countries. Yeah, exactly. For that to kind of kick in a little bit. And maybe it doesn't in the way I'm expecting either. And that will be, I'm sure it will once or twice. (laughs) Once or twice for sure. Um, I think it's it's nice that they've just embraced that that's not them. Yeah. They're not big and tearing up the world with their many armies. They're just here and they're doing and it's fine. Yeah. So honestly, these the more I talk about them, the more I like them. Mm-hmm. I think these are maybe my favorite lyrics we've had yet these, on Yeah. Like just a level of sort of setting out almost a philosophical argument for Lesotho. The thesis statement? The thesis statement. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree. When I first looked at them, when we were listening to the anthems, I was kind of like, yeah, all right, that's fine. Um, But having had this conversation and having really like looked at them a little bit deeper, I agree with you. These are very strong lyrics. I'm going to go, I'm going to go nine and a half. Okay, that's bold. I'm going to go nine. All right. All right, let's talk music. Okay. The music was so varied. I felt... Yeah, I feel it's hard to nail down exactly what, like, the music for this is. Yeah, I was... I'll be honest, except for that middle version, I was a little bit bored. Not by the as we talked like we talked about the fantastic vocalists in that. No, for sure. I, I I understand. But it's it's a little bit plodding those other yeah, two recordings we listened to. It is a little bit, and I'm not sure I'm not sure the music is really where it's at for me on this one. Yeah. yeah. That's fair. Um like I said, I like the way that call and response seems to be built into the DNA of it. Mm -hmm. And I do like the way that the composition of this is loose because I think that lends for the possibility of things like that contemporary recording. I think that definitely does say something. I think we talked about this last week with Sao Tome too, but the Canadian anthem, you can't do that. It would sound ridiculous. There's no, 
There's um, nothing to loosen up there. So the fact that it sort of can be done, I think, is says something. Anyway. I, I think that's a point in its favor, at mm-hmm. least in my mind. Yeah. So the music's definitely not the best, but I don't think it's the worst either. I am going to go five and a half. Yeah, I was going to go five. All right. Let's talk background story. Okay. The background story, I thought was pretty interesting here. It's very sort of multicultural and multidimensional. Yeah. And I mean, I think at face value, it's a little strange that the Lesotho National Anthem was written by a French dude. Yeah. But learning that he... Because I couldn't find anything about him having written the anthem, Mm -hmm. the moment that you heard me being like, oh shit, I found it, Mm -hmm. was the moment that I found out he had been Eugene Cassily's student. Yes, yes. Just because Cassily, I was already fascinated at the way Moshushu had taken in these three, uh, like, French missionaries when he had already seemingly rebuffed the Boer missionaries. Mm -hmm. But... Yeah, that's that's the thing that really clicked for me that I think is just kind of poetically great. It keeps it kind of all in the family. Yeah. Which is a nice feeling to have, especially, you know, for your national anthem, especially at independence, too. Like, that's an important time for a country. Yeah. And like I said, I don't know how much his role is ceremonial in the process, but I think it's cool that uh, Moa Paloa got yes. his inclusion in the process as well. That's very interesting also. So not the greatest story of all time, but I think there's there's definitely some meat there. I mm-hmm. guess there was enough to write a book about yes. uh, in the traveling of the music from, from Switzerland to Lesotho. Mm-hmm. We just haven't read that book. <laughs> so... Um, I'm going to go seven and a half. I, you know, I was debating between seven and seven and a half. I'm going to keep undercutting me by a half. You know what? I started doing it. I'm not going to stop now. Yes. (laughs) Seven. (laughs) We'll watch all of this fall apart in a minute, probably. So let's talk about the uh, significance to the country and the lyrics. I think... And just the significance to the country of the anthem. I mean, I didn't get the impression in my research that this is an anthem that gets sung a lot. Mm. Um, I forget which country it was where my research explicitly told me it was an anthem that didn't get performed a lot. Yeah. But I did not get the impression with this one. The, The high school performing it seemingly on the steps of their high school Mm -hmm. was the only live performance I could find. Mm -hmm. So I I do think there's a bit of indifference in Lesotho towards the anthem. That's fair. I think though in the lyrics there is, I don't know, some importance there. It is, as we said, kind of a thesis statement for the place. Yeah, and, and I, I like how much um, of the reality of Lesotho it acknowledges. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So I think it's not nothing, but it's not maybe as overwhelming as it might have been. Yeah. I'm going to go... I'm going to go for a six. I'm also going to go six. All right. No more undercutting. I beat you. <laughs> Is that how that works? I don't know. <laughs> Let's talk X Factor. Okay, X Factor. This has some X Factor. I definitely think it has some X Factor. Um, I like that as the guy who did the research this week, I like that it's a bit of a mystery. Mm -hmm. I liked finding those little tidbits and trying to connect them into a full story. You did some real detective work this week. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Like I said, I think the lyrics are fantastic. Probably the best we've had. Mm -hmm. I think there's some really interesting stuff to the DNA of the music, even if maybe it's not the best composition of all time. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go seven and a half. Okay. Okay. Um, 
of digging the lyrics. I'm going to go eight. All right. Let's take a second and total all that up. Sounds good. All right. That brings our total score in at 71 points out of 100. Okay. Very respectable score. Okay. I don't think that puts it at the top of the pack, but uh, probably top three so far. Yeah, probably. Um, comfortably in the middle anyways. Certainly not at the bottom. Let's uh, talk a bit about the food we made yes. from Lesotho. Let's talk about the food, which I think has been... I don't know if it's the most exciting thing we've made so far, but it's certainly, the most contentious. Yes, yeah, certainly the least like stuff we are used to eating. Yes, absolutely that. Um, so it's a soup. It's a soup with tangerines and spinach. And yellow yellow split peas? Yellow split peas. Mm-hmm. Um, Chicken broth? I'll, I'll be honest with you folks, I, I hated it. Aaron didn't like it. I His... took one <laughs> bite, I could not do it. The reaction was immediate and very strong. Ugh. I felt... Like, it is not, as I said, sort of my favorite thing I have ever eaten. Yeah. I'm not sitting around, like, wishing we could make it again right away. But I ate mine. It was okay. I thought the parsley really added something. I found the tangerine flavor was not overwhelming, although it was very strong. Let's say we end up at a, like, South African restaurant, Mm -hmm. and you see that Bootha Boothie is on the menu. Does it cross your mind to order it? Is it a starter or is it a main dish? Starter. Yeah. Okay. I'd be curious to see what the restaurant tastes like. Yeah. This is one of those dishes where, I mean, it's possible... It's possible we fucked it up or our ingredients are it's, bad. It's or entirely possible something. I fucked it up. Maybe I was supposed to be using like a whole different kind of, of fucking tangerine and there's some Basutu guy listening to this episode just laughing his ass off, imagining us making it with this kind of tangerines. Yeah. Who knows? This is entirely possible. So if... If, a if person, you're that guy, tell us. <laughs> if a person who made this often wanted to make it for me i would eat it i would be very curious sure. to okay see yeah i think i would out. at least like have a bite of yours <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if i would be brave enough to accept a whole bowl i i made this and i did not like it no you weren't really expecting to like it. yeah yeah that's fair that's fair um so mixed mixed reviews mixed reviews mixed reviews on the food this week um, so, shall we, before we roll the dice, talk about the countries that most fucked Lesotho? Did I say that right? Lesotho. Lesotho, sorry. Yes. Um, well... It's a little tough on this one, isn't it? It's a little tough on this one because a number of the countries that I would give points to do not exist. Mm. Um, like, I would say the number one country that fucked Lesotho... Probably the orange free state of the Boers. Yeah, I think that's valid though. Uh, number two is possibly Shaka Zulu Empire. Yeah, I think that's fair though. I think we're allowed to count countries that no longer exist. Um, it still happened, but maybe I will throw a consolation point to uh. Actually, you know what? I'm going to give the British a solid second po- place over Shaka. Um, the more I think about it, they, they're probably second place. That's um, another one for you, England. Well done. Yeah, so uh, another point for England mm-hmm. and uh, point each for two countries that do not exist and will not be on this show. All well, right. we'll possibly talk about the Orange Free State of the Boers. but yes. And maybe the Zulus. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Let's roll for next week. All right. Well, the week after next week. It's your next one. The giant 206-sided die says 185. 185. Give me something that starts with a W or some shit. <laughs> Togo. Togo. All right. All right. Do okay. You know anything about Togo coming out of the gate? No. Me neither. No. We will learn together. Sounds great. Okay. Uh, tune in next week for my episode on Burkina Faso. 
Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. If not, I will I correct so. it next week. I think so. Um, but we thought I was saying Lesotho, we, right? So we did. let's stop assuming we know anything. Yes, and also let's stop assuming every place is an island nation. Hey, I already <laughs> restrained myself from saying a word about Togo. Watch now, it's going to be an island nation. But if it is an island nation, yes. I didn't say it wasn't. That's All true. I've done is is not opened my mouth. I opened it for you instead. Thank you. No problem. Anytime. <laughs> okay. All right, folks. Next week is Burkina Faso. Turn back in. Tune back in to uh, hear what Kate's learned. Did we get something very wrong? Did we skip an entire part of the story that's worth mentioning? That's very likely, and we'd love to hear the correct version. Please tweet us at IAOUC Podcast or send us an email at in all of us command podcast at gmail.com. We record these episodes a bit in advance, so you may not hear a correction right away, but we are not too big to admit we are wrong and it will be corrected.